Hello, and welcome back to the Album Files podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We're here for Ian's pick. Mm. Alsace. French. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I'm joined by Ian Trelore. Hey, I'm, I'm excited to put Alsace French in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of the album <laughs> for anyone who can't pronounce the actual title. French. <laughs> Which is all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Denis. Hello. Yes, I'm also excited to be talking about French this week. <laughs> <laughs> we we've got a great episode coming. Before we dive into Ian's pick, you guys been listening to anything good lately? Do you want to go first, Matthew? I'd love to. I was listening. You, you'll enjoy this one, Abby. I was listening to Silverchair yesterday, um, Neon Ballroom, Ooh. which is the uh, the album before Diorama, which we infamously featured a while ago. Um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think that's a really good album, Neon Ballroom. It's not as good as Diorama, but the first five songs or so are really strong on Neon Ballroom, and I really enjoyed getting back into that. When you said that you really enjoy this, Abby, that could have gone two ways. It could have been sarcastic, or it could have been, I've been listening to Ed Sheeran. I love him. I think we should feature him in a full episode, just a full episode of Ed Sheeran. It could have gone either way. Yeah, it was turning to more, more towards sarcasm this time, sorry. Um Although I do think you probably enjoy this one more than Diorama, actually. Anyway, uh, I mentioned last time they've been going a bit of a King Crimson binge. That kind of led me down an Adrian Ballou power trio rabbit hole. So he was one of the guys who played with the band in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. And he has this amazing uh, yeah, trio that he's part of. Just really angular, harsh, but fascinating music that I really like and find challenging to listen to which is fun um and speaking of fun and challenging and impressive music um our boy jacob collier just released his first uh ever concert film um he put the whole thing up for free on youtube and i've been working my way through that and really enjoying it it's um as you'd expect from jacob collier it's pretty um show-offy in parts um he does love showing off how impressive he is, but Jeezy's uh, good. Just such an in- incredibly talented multi-instrumentalist and the stuff that he can do both on his own and with a band is pretty ridiculous. Um, so very much enjoying watching that and uh, find that very inspiring to listen to. So yeah, those are the main ones that have kept me interested this week. And then obviously Alceste uh, French. <laughs> I also I should have mentioned at the at the start of the show that we're also going to talk about a little album that dropped since we last recorded, and that is Bad Winds Blow. Love to by Brian Hart. Please do. <laughs> Ian, what have you been listening to? Well, I I have been listening to Brian Hart quite a lot. Um, wow, so quite we'll, a lot. We'll, quite a lot. Yeah, we'll dig into that later. I'm sure, but uh, besides that, I've I've actually been relatively productive at work, which means that my, uh, my music that I've been listening to has been writing music. So, uh, Scottish composer called Erland Cooper, who has an album called folded landscapes, which is kind of about climate change. Uh, but there's also a second disc of it, which is just the instrumental stuff without children talking about how we shouldn't use plastic, um, over the top. (laughs) So that's, that's, uh, really lovely. More so, more so the instrumental side. Uh, Luke Howard, who's a Melbourne composer, uh, who does these beautiful, but quite sad sort of, yeah, orchestral and piano pieces. He had an album that I hadn't heard called All of Us, which came out in 2021, 2022 or something like that. And that's, that's really lovely. Um, in a more electronic direction, I've, uh, been listening to a fair bit of John Hopkins, who's a electronic producer um, from England, I believe. He's got an album called Singularity, which is really, really incredible. And uh, finally, Sufjan Stevens. I've spent a bit of time with Javelin. Mm, How Uh, is it? It is still growing on me. I think that it's um, definitely has some sort of Carrie and Lowell moments, but 
it's more musically diverse. So it, it kind of has some some of his more electronic influences and it, it kind of sounds like a compilation of lots of different Sufjan Stevens aspects throughout his career from weird electronic tangents to, uh, yeah, like stripped back folk songs. There's some really good moments on it, but as an album, it's still growing on me. And that's about it for me. I want to listen to that, but I just am afraid of the headspace that it's going to put me in. It's not actually that. uh, I, I haven't found it to be challenging in that way. I think the backstory of it is really hard when you sort of hear about the fact that he, that his, you know, he, he's sort of been, uh, there's, there's been a lot of conjecture over the course of his musical career about his sexuality, rightly or wrongly, which is, I don't know, because he's kind of an attractive guy and people are like, oh, he's a heartthrob and all of the indie girls were like, oh, I, I love Sufjan. But anyway, he announced that he, he came out as, as gay, um, in an Instagram post just after this album came out. But the Instagram post was also about the fact that his partner had just died. So there's, there's obviously a really heavy backstory to it. And, uh, these sort of little details, which mean that you're getting a more complete glimpse of who he is as a person, which is what you got with Carrie and Lal, which was, uh, after writing fictionalized sort of stories about states and stuff, he was finally letting his guard down and, and revealing more about himself. Um, so I think the backstory behind this album is really hard, but the album itself is more celebratory and um, definitely not like the heavy gut punch kind of consistency of, of <laughs> that previous album. That's good to know. Cause I think like, like you, Abby, I was kind of nervous about diving into it, but, Sounds like it might be okay. Yeah. There may be more in the lyrics that I haven't picked up on yet, but no, I, I, I didn't get the, the feeling that it needed a trigger warning. Well, as a lyric first listener, I'll let you know. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> um, I haven't really been listening to any music, actually, besides the, the two albums we're going to talk about today, um, but I have been really enjoying Buffy Ver- um Slayers, a Buffyverse story, which is basically fanfic, Buffy the Vampire Slayer fanfic, um, Audible made it into a like full cast audio production <laughs> with a bunch of this, the same characters from <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer, wow. um, including Spike, Drusilla, Tara, um, yeah, Cordelia is the main character. Well, Spike is the narrator but Cordelia is the slayer. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. So I've been listening to that. That has been an absolute treat. Because <laughs> they wrapped up the show so nicely, they can't ever go back. Um, but it's cool that somebody found a way without you know, the asshole that made the show um, that hopefully will not work in Hollywood ever again, even though I love his work. It's just he can't. He, Yeah. Um, without him somebody found a way to like bring the magic back and i was skeptical at first because i was like how could they ever recapture that but they really did it's it's phenomenal would recommend do you do you guys watch buffy the vampire slayer don't know anything about it don't know any of the names you mentioned and have no context at all but i'm really happy for you that you're enjoying it i also i i feel like there's backstory about the asshole that created it that i i don't understand either so i'll do some reading um yeah, just Google. <laughs> I think it, I can't remember his name. Joss Whedon. Ah, uh, Joss Whedon. Controversy. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's great. So I highly recommend both Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Slayers of Buffyverse. Should we? Uh, should we dive in? Do you, we, do you want to talk Brianhart first? Brianhart first. Let's yeah. Do it. Let's do it. Let's get it out of the we way. We totally can. Do you want to give us like a background background information on the album, how how it started? We know you mentioned briefly that it was a it was a one day project that you and your brother did, but how did you get to the point where you were like, okay, we're gonna go away for a day and make music? Like, what was the how did you get to that yeah, in the first place? That's a good question. Uh, so during the pandemic, when everyone was in lockdown, my brother and I and a bunch of his mates got together online 
a whole bunch of times and we would set ourselves a challenge of like an hour. We'd meet up, we'd chat and we'd all go away and write something in an hour and then we'd come back and we'd send the songs around and we'd play them for each other and chat about what we made. Um, sometimes it'd be a theme for what we were doing. Um, sometimes it'd just be do whatever you want. Um, and it was really fun. It was really creative and just got us all working on stuff and also working on stuff in a way that just forced you to move quickly and not agonize over decisions, which I think a lot of people that create things can often do. Sometimes it's cool just to create and have a a time limit for that. Um, so there was that. And then a couple of YouTubers that I've mentioned a few times in the past, Rob Skellen and Andrew Huang, they have a, uh, a band that they, they bring together once a year called first of October. And every year they make an album in a day and big fan of that project. They do some amazing work together. So having seen them do that and having done these one hour challenges with Ash during lockdown, I said to him, why don't we try and do an album in a day? We just, you know, we've done these hour challenges. Why don't we just do 10 of them back to back? And he thought I was crazy, um, which I think I was, but he was on board. And so we, we just kind of went for it. We planned out what we would need for it. In terms of equipment, we went down to our family holiday house. We set up the night before and then got up at 6.30 in the morning without any ideas, without any notes, anything. Just started from scratch on the first track and then just did that 10 times in a row with a few breaks in between um, and allowed ourselves two hours at the end of the day just to do some re-records and fix up a few things that weren't done. But yeah, then everything that you hear on the album was written, uh, recorded, in the space of that 12 hours um, and then over the course of however long we kind of mixed the album well Ash mixed it mainly and yeah but that's what you hear on Spotify or wherever you want to listen to it um, so yeah pretty impressed with how it like turned out because it pretty pretty silly idea really to put yourself under that sort of pressure but yeah really happy with how it turned out and just so much fun just so much fun to be in that creative headspace and just be able to focus solely on creating something did the concept for doing this have anything to do with the um, chaotic nature in which your previous employment situation ended? Hmm. I don't think so. I don't think they were related. I think it was okay. a plan before all that went down, before I got mm. made redundant, um, and we just had to find a time to do it. But Yeah. Because I could totally, totally see you like, in that block of time bef- between jobs, just being like, okay, I, was, I need a creative outlet. <laughs> yeah, I was very creative in that time. I'm actually writing a, an album at the moment. I've almost finished it. I did most of the writing for that album during that time. And I was doing some creative writing as well, like fiction stuff during that time. So I was very creative, but I think this particular project was already in motion before everything went south mm-hmm. at the other place. Oh, I was just going to ask how you would have managed the situation if you got into the room and there was no creativeness flowing. Yeah. <laughs> were, I don't know. Task yourself with this massive project. <laughs> I think we just would, would have, uh, I think both of us are uh, very good at just being able to create stuff out of nothing, whether or not it's good or not is a mm-hmm. different question, but we're both very good at doing that and, and good at bouncing off each other and good at being vulnerable with our ideas. And, um, I think also just having the pressure of knowing that we had to get something done, we'd put that pressure on ourselves and we're both people that when we say we're going to do something, that's what we're going to do. So I think it just kind of happened. Did you come in with like predetermined riffs? Like, did you have ideas in mind nothing. that- not a, not a thing. Wow. Nothing at all. So the first thing was literally like 6.30 in the morning, me playing drums and Ash playing guitar. And literally what you hear there is- uh, what you hear on uh, what song is it? Gravity. I think that that riff was the first thing I played on drums that morning, and the the guitar riff Ash came up with that about thirty seconds after I played the first drum riff. So it just it just started straight away, and that was kind of it. Set the tone for the rest of the day. That was gonna be my yeah. My next question was gonna be like the order in which the songs are on the album. Did that have anything to do with the order that you made them? Or did you order put them in that order after? No, they're all over the place. Um, we ordered them on the album according to... Uh, starting with what we feel like is the strongest stuff up front. Um, and then just a bit of a flow from there so that it kind of moves along at a, at a decent pace. And 
Um, I think, yeah, catching people's attention straight away is important. Um, and then, yeah, I think ha- finishing strong with... Um, uh, now I've forgotten the, the name of the last track or what, what the last track was, but I remember the, the last one was Blue. strong. In Ocean Blue, yeah. I like that song and I think finishing with something nice is, is good. So, um, yeah, it was more of a crafted thing. But, yeah, the first one I recorded was Gravity, which I really like. I think I'm happy with how that turned out, but... Um, I think there are stronger things on there. Interesting. I really, yeah, I feel like m- my favorite song on the album is the first one. Like it, it comes in, yeah, it comes in really strong and I just like the whole way that it kind of adds on to itself as it's going. Yeah, I think it's definitely my favorite, but there's some other stuff on here that I also really enjoy. I think that it's it's so diverse. Like there's everything from like these sea shanties to rockers to like spoken word kind of bits and then like delicate little folk songs. Um, So I I liked the diversity for it, but it was a bit, you know, it wasn't like a here is one one vibe that we're sticking to. It was kind of like a sampler of lots of different aspects of your musical taste and musical styles. And I, I quite liked that. Like it changes enough that, if if uh, one song doesn't hook you immediately, there's something different the next track along. Um, there were some really, really good songs on there that I particularly enjoyed. Um, Crystal Ball, I think, is, is pretty gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the guitar solo at the end of 16 Blows. Um, my favorite song on the album was Break Me. Interesting. And wow. Iris is, Iris is my oldest daughter. Iris, we were listening to this in the car on the way to a party or something. And um, she was quite captivated by the idea behind the album. And was okay. like, oh, your friend Matt made this? I was like, yes, and he did it in a day. She was like, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so she was, she was really into that. But Break Me immediately sort of hooked her in. And it's such a, um, it's, it's a really f- fun sort of bop. But I also, I was, I was really impressed by some of the lyrics as well, especially seeing as it was not, it, um, like they felt really crafted and well put together in, in places. And the fact that you're able to conjure your Ash, I don't know who wrote these lyrics, but that you're able to conjure up that kind of really beautiful imagery, um, in the short amount of time that you had, there's, there's a line like a sunbeam cutting through your hair. I'm weightless. I'm only air. I love that. That was was one of mine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's such a, such a beautiful little rhyme. Yeah. So I, I, I love the lyrics in that and crystal ball. Um, the organ solo that rips at the end of poison. (laughs) Is it organ or is it guitar? Uh, there's both there's organ and then it kind of bleeds into a guitar solo both of those are ash that uh, that to me is the weakest song on there I think I bit off more than I could chew in terms of vocal performance on it I just I don't have the voice to be able to support that but um, I think Ash did an awesome job at the end with those solos that really give it some heft to, to close out which I really like um, but yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Crystal Ball because I I adore that song and I, I think that, I mean, that I came up with the initial guitar riff for that and the progression, but Ash wrote the lyrics for that and all that in about 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And he sung that one and yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. I, I get chills every time I hear that still, even now. So um, yeah, he did an awesome job. I also quite liked Echoes. I didn't think that I liked it at first. Um because it's, it's this spoken word thing over a, kind of a post-rocky kind of foundation. and But the more I listened to it, the more I enjoyed it. And uh, there's a, a Scottish band called Arab Strap, who's one of my favorites, and they, they have a similar kind of vibe to some of their songs. So when I started thinking of it as like Arab Strap, but from Melbourne, <laughs> without a thick Scottish <laughs> accent, <laughs> I, uh, I really liked it. That one's quite a funny one to me because the way we structured this whole thing was we have an hour for each thing, then we move on and then we come back at the end if we need to. With that particular song, um, I had 12 minutes 
the music was done in 48 minutes. I had 12 minutes to write and record lyrics slash vocals. And I had, I had nothing. I had no idea what to do. I couldn't think of a, a melody. I couldn't think of whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to do a spoken word thing. I'm just going to go for it. And I bashed out those, what you hear there, the, the words in about, I don't know, seven minutes. And then what you hear on the recording is the first take of me just going for it. And there's one section of that that's kind of repeated, I guess you'd call a chorus, whatever. Um, the timing of all that, I had no idea where this was going to go in the song. It was just a collection of words. And then I didn't realize until I was actually recording that I was going to repeat that section. But it was like, oh, there's still about a minute and a half of this thing to go. I need something. Oh, I think it's about to build up again here. Let's just, I'll just do that same bit again. And it kind of like, it falls perfectly somehow in the exact moment that that it's supposed to. So that was kind of one of those moments where just quite fortuitous with how it all happened. Um, and yeah, I think it turned out quite cool for something that was a real rush job at the end there. Yeah, I, I enjoyed and was very pleasantly surprised by it. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Climate change Christmas is really sad. Mm. I mean, just like haunting, I guess. How did you guys come up with that one? Towards the end of the day, Ash and I split apart and he wrote one track and I wrote the other concurrently. Um, so he wrote uh, The Feeling at that time and I wrote um, Climate Change Christmas. And I just came up with that um, keys progression. And it was the week before, it was recorded in December last year. And the week before that, there was in the news, there was, um, it had been snowing in the Alps in Victoria in the middle of summer in the start of summer and it was just it was crazy to me that that was a thing that was happening and so i just i had this line going through my head of um you know snow falls past my window uh, melts on the ground it's winter in december it's cold all year round and it just kind of came to me very quickly <clears throat> and then just kind of went from there and then got to the chorus and it was like okay well, this kind of feels like it's about climate change and then christmas and summer and heat and then yeah it just kind of flowed from there and I didn't really give it much conscious thought, to be honest. It's just in those moments where you've got so little time, it's like you're almost just acting on instinct and and what comes to you and you just you just have to commit to something and go for it. And Ash said later that he liked the juxtaposition between the um, kind of light and fun keys and then the depressing subject matter. And I really like that as well, but it definitely wasn't a, con- a, a, um, a conscious choice at the time. It was just this is what's come out and here's what we're going with and that's it. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. From a Northern Hemisphere dweller, it's a interesting listen. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I really, I like that one as well. And An Ocean Blue I also really like. Hmm. And The Feeling, that one's also good. What didn't you guys like? What would you... Yeah, what were some of the low you, We moments? can't answer that question. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious. It's not not meant to be a... Uh, there's nothing bad about it. More as a... I'm curious as an as an uh, outside observer, what didn't work from this project? Does it feel like it's a rush? Does it feel like it's... Um, yeah, what does it feel like in that regard? I don't know if you can say... Well, I don't know if it feels like a rush because I feel like I know how it was made. So I can't like judge whether or not it feels like a rush because it... It might, but because I'm so impressed with what you guys did, I can't separate the two, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Like, I didn't love Echoes, but that's but you know about me already that I don't like spoken words. So it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the song itself. It's just my taste. From my perspective, like, there were definitely songs that I preferred and some that I liked le- less. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily and i as i said before like i I like that there is that variety to it and i think that that's impressive that there is that variety and it means that it uh can be something that appeals in parts to a wider range of people Mm. um i think some of the songs felt a little bit short like i would have liked crystal ball to go on for a bit longer for instance um break me I would have liked to go on a bit longer, but that's because I liked those songs that I just wanted more of them. So that's that's not a not a bad thing. And I I think the the fact that they simulta- simultaneously feel like it it doesn't feel like it's too short. It's just like I I would I would like to keep hearing this. 
kind of thing. So I, yeah, I, I think that as much as there were, there were some songs I preferred and some I liked less, I, d I don't think that it's anything inherently bad with the ones that I liked less. Yeah, good to know. Well, thank you both for listening to it. I, I appreciate it. I know Ash does as well. And yeah, it's nice to have something out in the world and for people to be listening to it. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I would also just say that I was listening to it. Like I, I put it on because I wanted to listen to it. Like the first listen through, it was like, uh, this is something that I have to do my homework for, for the podcast. But after that, it was just like, oh, okay, I, I am choosing to put this on. This is a conscious choice that this is something that I want to listen to now. So that, that was a nice thing. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, I don't know if I listened to it as much as Ian, um, but I definitely, yeah, the first listen through was just, well, because you made it. Um, and you're my friend. And then after that, I was like, actually, this is, this is good. I want to keep listening to this. So. Cool. Oh, thank you yeah. both. That means a lot. Well done, Matt. You broke through our sense of obligation <laughs> into our soft gooey interiors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what else is there to aim for? That's, that's a win. I'll take that. All right, Ian. Ah, it's your turn. This is exciting. I always feel nervous when I'm doing my own reports and I wrote, I wrote this up last night um, and I haven't read through it. So it could be absolutely all over the shop. We'll see. <laughs> So the album that I chose is by a French band called Alceste. Uh, it has a French title, which is in French, which is a language I do not speak. Um, all of the songs. Should we get Tom's in here to pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, that'd be great. Here, I'll send him a message. Um, does he speak fluently? That's obscene. What a guy. That someone can be multilingual and gifted. Remarkable. Uh, so the album is called... I'll keep, I'll keep explaining and then he can come in and with his red pen and just write all over my pronunciations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the album is called Souvenirs de un autre monde. Yep. Which is, translates to Memories from Another World. Um, this album came out in 2007. It was their, their or his first full-length album uh, following a couple of EPs that came out earlier on in, in his career. So Tristesse Hivenal was the first EP, came out in 2001 when the main guy behind the project is a French multi-instrumentalist called Stéphane Poe from the south of France, but he produces music under, under the sort of moniker Neige, which means snow. Um, Neige was and is a pretty prolific member of the French black metal scene. He uh, began playing as the drummer and I think um, live guitarist for a, a satanic black metal band called Peste Noir. Um, he has since disavowed that project because the main singer is a little bit of a fascist. So <laughs> he left the band in 2008 <laughs> and has walked away from that, um, that side of music. And I think we'll go on to explain uh, or talk about how he his music and his career are kind of a rejection of some of those black metal ideals. Um, in addition to playing in Peste Noir, he was also uh, at the, the, the sort of front person or one of the two creative forces behind a, a, a post-punk and black metal and pop project called Amateurs that I spoke about last time we recorded. Um, and he was a live bassist with a, a really excellent post-rock band called Le, Le Discret. Um, so Alceste as a project uh, began in 2001 when Neige was 16 years of age and recorded this initial demo called Tristesse Hivenal in 2001. Uh, it was a really harsh sounding demo, very abrasive lo-fi black metal uh, and quite quite straight down the line in terms of what it was and what it was trying to be. Four years after that in 2005 was an EP called Le Secret. Le Secret? I don't know. The Secret. <laughs> um, <laughs> which got rid of the guys from Peste Noir and was was just a solo production with, with a couple of samples in it. Again, it was uh, relatively rough re roughly recorded, but it's 
a bit closer to the sound that would go on to define Alcest. Um, it mixes these moments of ambient beauty and melody with screamed vocals and a pretty uh, leisurely runtime of half an hour for a two-track EP. Um, neither Tristesse Hivenal or Le Secret were spectacular, but they did help inform the journey toward the album that we're going to be talking about today, uh, 2007 Souvenirs d'Ultramont. That was better. Uh, <laughs> which is an album that's uh, that was eventually so influential that it basically created a genre of its own. Souvenirs has a 41-minute runtime, six sprawling tracks of six minutes apiece. Souvenirs de un autre monde. That was pretty good. Can we get the track names as well? Printemps <laughs> Amérode. Les Iris. Ciel errante. Sur leur autre rivet, je t'attendre. Tirnan Osh. Wow. <laughs> that was so impressive. Now replicate it. I cannot do that. <laughs> oh, no. Well, now the listeners know how it's supposed to be pronounced, so they can, like, slot that in whenever we butcher Yeah, when I'm just like, yeah, souvenirs dans notre monde. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this album was entirely written and recorded by, by Neige, with the exception of one, one track, which has a guest female vocalist. Um, in the black metal sphere, it was more or less without any kind of parallel at the time because black metal as a genre has traditionally been quite heavily informed by this really dark aesthetic, screamed vocals, uh, corpse paint, which is like the, the white and the black face makeup, um, black clothing, people burning churches down and really questionable political leanings, um, <laughs> Neige, Meanwhile, showed no particular interest in wanting to make music that fit into that scene with this album. In a 2007 interview, just after the release of his album, he talked about this sound having been inspired by these childhood visions he'd had of another dimension. Um, this is a quote of him speaking about this vision that he had. It's an indescribably beautiful place where everything, trees, glades, and brooks, produces a pearly light and where a faraway and celestial music floats in the air like a perfume. In such a place, the spirit wanders without its mortal coil and deprived of the five senses pertaining to the body. It perceives what surrounds it in a completely different way, such as I couldn't describe with words. There, one no longer feels moral and physical suffering, diseases, anguish of death, but only a feeling of peace and indescribable ecstasy. This place is inhabited by beings of light who are infinitely benevolent, protective, and who communicate by talking directly to the soul in a language beyond words. In the kind of black metal scene where everything is really, um, like there's a particular type of what is cool and what is fitting within that box, this delicate sort of Frenchman talking about these visions of a fairyland that he had as a child is probably pretty far away from um from his where, where he came from and and he delivers these sort of lines seemingly without any pretense or embarrassment and there's this kind of gentle innocence to Neige that makes him this this really profound outlier in the world of metal um so i i first came across this album in 2008 or so after having a bit of an interest in heavier music, but coming from what was at that time mostly an indie rock and post-rock kind of leaning, this album has a bit more edge to it than those genres, but it isn't a million miles away from post-rock bands like Explosions in the Sky, say, or Sigur and felt pretty accessible to me at the time. For most of third year uni, this would be my writing music. So I'd uh, found a particular computer lab that I really liked in these times where we had to go to a computer lab to, to type on computers, like you didn't just have your laptop, you'd go into a lab and then there were all of these shitty computers with like windows on them and, and you're just tapping away on someone else's computer, foreign. Um, but anyway, there was this- I never got to experience oh, that. it's wild. <laughs> if you're lucky, like there'd be toenail clippings I've below the it. desk from the last person that was there. And no. <laughs> Yeah, so strange. Anyway, so there, 
the computer labs at the uni that I went to tended to be really shitty, but there was this one really good computer lab um, in the Caulfield campus of Monash Uni, which Matt Matt would know, um, which was hidden away in this building that the humanities students did not go to, but I found it. And it was in this kind of elevated position, like three floors up with these big plane trees um, outside. And the light that came in through there was always really, really sort of green and golden (laughs) and really beautiful. And it was always really quiet. And I just put this album on and the quality of the light kind of matched the quality of the sound. And I'd have a mango smoothie, (laughs) always a mango (laughs) smoothie. And I'd just tap away and go into this trance writing these essays. Um, So that's what I think of when I think of this album. And I, I think that the... Uh, the the sort of glow of the light in that that place matched the glow of the the sort of sound, which also matches the way that he describes this fairy vision that he has of these. Um, it's it's quite a quite a visual kind of listen for me. Uh, there's this beauty to the sound that was, if you pay attention to it, it's really all in, encompassing. But if you focus hard on something else it kind of blends into the background and it also has this this knack that a lot of post-rock and that kind of music does of making the everyday feel more profound in terms of its influences or sound alikes it kind of approaches shoegaze and post-rock from a black metal perspective has a touch of uh, bands like jesu a touch of sigur ross a touch of slow dive and cocteau twins um I wouldn't call it abrasive, but there are hints of the black metal influence in the the drumming at times, especially the the double kick bass drum uh, in the second half of the the song Le Iris. <laughs> but mostly the impression is just this dense wall of kind of major key sound. It's a kind of sonic wash that uh, wraps around you. Um, I'm almost done. Just a couple more paragraphs. I've been waffling on for a while. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Alstest have gone on since this to, they've, they've got six albums now. They're still active today. Uh, it's still mostly a, a niche project, although they, they do have one other full-time member now, a drummer called Winterhalter, who came along in 2009 um, and has elevated the, the drumming. Uh, Nash has also contributed to other bands and been guest vocalists for a German black metal band called Landlos. A uh, band called Old Silver Key, multiple other guest appearances. I think in choosing this album, it's not my favourite Alcest album. And I think that there are better albums that they've done. The one that came after it in 2010, uh, Ekehs de Scales of the Moon, is uh, particularly strong. 2016's Kadama is really good, but this one is where it all began. Without this album, an entire genre probably wouldn't exist basically the founding example of this style that's now known as black gaze a combination of shoegaze and black metal um, and has gone on to influence this wide variety of bands perhaps the most famous of those is deaf heaven um, i'm wearing a deaf heaven t-shirt today under this this jumper <laughs> this this is a richie jumper <laughs> but i i i am wearing a deaf heaven t-shirt so even if you can't see it you you need to know that um but Deaf Heaven have been Grammy nominated. There are, there are some other bands that probably wouldn't exist without this album, like Sylvain, um, Fenn, Sadness, who I talk about a lot. This tweak on an old format makes a really challenging genre of music accessible, has some beauty and joy to it, which is a really long way from that corpse paint and leather and burnt down churches. Most especially, I think it's pretty remarkable how fully this album and Alcest's work since depicts the world that Neige is trying to conjure. A place that it, in his own words is defined by innocence, the contemplation of beauty, nostalgia of precious moments, the sadness of love out of the grip of time. I can't understand his lyrics because they're French, but I can feel them. It's not a perfect album, but I do think it's a beautiful one. And when we first started this project, uh, this was way back when I was talking to you about The weekend. This was the album that I was thinking of bringing to you first um, because I, I think it's it's interesting and I, I'm curious to talk about it. 
So over to you. <laughs> that was great context. Matt, do you want? Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Claps. Yeah. Um, Matt, do you want to say anything? Yeah, first? I do yeah. just want to ask whether Ian went to the Monash Uni um, computer lab to write that essay last night as well, or if that was a, a home effort. <laughs> that was a home effort. Um, I, I don't think my swipe card would work anymore <laughs> 15 no, years was, later or whatever. Mango smoothies for this one. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you for that. Um, I I have a little bit of familiarity with Alcest. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a, uh, like fully across their discography or know heaps about them. I, I learned a lot from what you just said there, Ian. But as you know, you were the one that introduced me to the band a few years ago back when we back in the before times when we worked in an office Um uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you how many albums they've had or, or even really pick those albums apart, but I know that I like a lot of their stuff. Um, and they've been a mainstay in my editing songs playlist for quite a few years now. I think they have the benefit of having lyrics that are unintelligible to me, which means they don't trip up my writing, which is really good. Um, but it's really cool to be able to hear this album and, and where it began because I don't think I'd heard this album. I heard maybe one track off it or something, but their later stuff is what I've... Um, had a greater familiarity with. Um, I, I'm keen to hear Abby's thoughts on this in a minute, but I, I find it I found it quite difficult to separate any of these tracks in any meaningful way. Like for me, it feels like this album more than most album feels like uh, one thing rather than individual parts. And I think part of that is not being able to pronounce the song titles or understand the lyrics or have anything really to, to differentiate them. And a lot of the music is quite similar from song to song um there is that specific formula that you mentioned ian of what i describe as like a a wash of distortion that kind of blankets as i bash the microphone um the kind of blankets the the song um which i really like and and is kind of beautifully abrasive in a way um and often these songs give way to um acoustic lead moments before building back up again um so yeah, I found it difficult to separate the tracks, but I really enjoyed every track basically the the whole way through. I I think I came to this from an interesting perspective of having listened to Alces stuff with a lot of the screamed vocals, and there are a lot of times while listening to this where I really expected that to happen. Um, the second, third, and fifth tracks in particular. There were moments where I was like, oh, it's building up here. We're about to get a, a screamed section and it just didn't happen. And I think I kind of missed that listening to mm. to this album. Um, not to say that it needed it necessarily, but I, I just know what range the group has and what they're able to, to do with that element of their songwriting. And it felt maybe a little bit lacking having come from that perspective. Um, but again, I don't think too much was was lost as a result but that passage that you read about the 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 fairyland or the dreamland that he envisaged was that really resonated with me because i yeah i I find this music incredibly evocative um obviously very beautiful and melodic and but also captures a kind of ethereal feeling or like a a beautiful sadness is what i wrote um there's kind of a an otherworldliness to it that you get from that wash of distortion and the way that it's produced with the vocals a long way back in the mix. And to me, the vocals, and this is partially by not being able to understand them, but the vocals more than most things I listen to are just all about the the texture and the melody here rather than anything else. Um, and they just form part of the the whole and in a, in a way that they don't when lyrics are more front and center in the mix. Um, yeah, and there's a kind of a, a triumphant nature to this as well. Like there's a lot of very big and um, triumphant riffs throughout, which I really liked. Um, I'm curious, Ian, did you, have you managed to see this band live before? Because I imagine that would be amazing, but also overwhelming. I've seen them twice. So I saw them uh, just after this album, 2008 or 2009, uh, playing the Toff in Town, which is this tiny room. Um, in the city, do you know Cookie, the bar Cookie? So a floor up from that. Mm. Um, it's just got this tiny band room, really incredible sound, uh, and really, really intimate venue. So I saw them there and 
that was kind of my first metal show, I think. Um, and that was, that was good. Uh, but I think that they're a better live band more recently than that. I saw them again in probably 20, 2016 or something at the, the hi-fi bar, which is a much bigger venue, much, uh, louder venue. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and they were playing more of that sort of scream stuff. I, I agree with you that, uh, when, when you do have that sort of the newer stuff with the, the harsh vocals, it kind of feels like it's an extra gear that they've got. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like this lacks that extra gear at times. Um, although it is, it is probably a more pleasant <laughs> or, or more, um, inviting listen without the, the harsh vocals. I, d- I do think that it, uh, doesn't give them their full dynamic range either. Mm. Um, but I think some of the bigger moments in, in this, like the, I guess, final movement of the, the ears where there's this blast beat, which is this double kick drumming that, that comes in. And it's just like this, if you've got it up loud enough, it's just like a kind of palpitation in the back end of the, the mix. And I, I think that those kind of moments of build and catharsis, um, uh, where I think this album is strongest. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think as a live band, if, if you get a chance to see them, it's, it's well worth it. it they're really, really good. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm gl- yeah, I'm glad you touched on the, the movement stuff. Cause I, I feel like a lot of the songs or a bunch of the songs did have these multiple movements. And I think sometimes it worked really well where you'd go from, yeah, a louder section down to a quieter section and a lot of them just flowed nicely. There's a couple of points where it felt like the changes were a bit jarring. I think on the penultimate track, the last movement feels like a bit of a departure. It's almost like a an addendum that doesn't really feel like it belongs or doesn't need to be there. Um, and then particularly the last track, um, there's a you start off with this, you know, beautiful triumphant melody and it's it's wonderful. And the track also ends that way, but in the middle, you've got this change to a kind of jarring acoustic riff that totally different vibe to what the rest of the song is. And it kind of reminded me of um, the title track off Taylor Swift's Evermore, which we talked about on a, a previous podcast that may longer may no longer exist. I'm not sure, but um, how that just felt crowbarred in unnecessarily to me and, and the same in this case where it felt like just just pull that out and just make that into a separate song it, it mm. felt quite jarring to me so i think that kind of multiple movement thing works well sometimes but other times it it didn't um and that was kind of a, a standout in, in that case for me but um abby i'm really curious to hear from you about the the lyrical side of things because as you alluded to before and we've talked about a lot you are more of a a lyrics first listener, whereas I know I'm certainly a, a lyrics last listener. And to me, I, I didn't need the lyrics here at all. I felt like I didn't need lyrics to feel this. I felt like the music and the melody of the vocal did all the work for me. But yeah, very curious to hear your take on all that. I kind of assumed going into it that I wasn't going to like it as much as I did because of the lack of lyrics or the sparse lyrics that are in another language that I don't understand. But I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised to find that um, the the parts where there actually is um, vocal, that I, it, it was really calming in a way. Uh, like, I think that I was really surprised overall at how I felt about this album, but I didn't, the fact that the lyrics don't play a huge role in the listening experience did not phase me in the slightest. Um, I feel I felt like the entire album I just loved it. There was maybe the the third song, the, the track 3. I'm not going to try to pronounce French, so I'm just going to say track 3. Um was maybe my least favorite of the lot, but I still enjoyed it. Um maybe because it was just so long, but it also like I just talked about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It really felt like something <laughs> straight out of the Buff- Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I feel like the album as a whole could really be like a gateway drug to another type of music that I've never been interested in 
interested in diving into because I've never listened to Alcest. I've never listened to anything slightly, even slightly adjacent to this type of music, but I really enjoyed it. I feel like I would love to see this album performed live because um, it really did, like, if I just listened to it and closed my eyes and I was just outside with the trees and and the and the fresh air, like, I really just felt myself transported and I feel like in a couple of the tracks like it takes you through an entire journey um the first track is one I I don't agree with Matt about the fifth track like I really liked that I mean yes it was like oh the song's over no it's not over but I feel like it's like a whole story that it's taking you through but because there's no lyrics you can fill in the blanks yourself Mm. which I really enjoyed um the final track is like by far my favorite i i put it on repeat it was i just loved it i loved it so much like i love the beginning the 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 intro into the beginning um it evokes like a feeling of hope hopefulness i feel like in the way that it is and it, it feels very like woodsy like you should be in a forest when you're listening to it and i and i thought that that was really fun um we've we've spoken in previous episodes about the the first track and how that can that how you enter an album can make or break how you're going to feel about the album. And I feel like the first track is phenomenal in that the intro just really like grabs hold of you from the very first second. And then just like, is like, Hey, we're, we're going on an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really enjoyed that the way that it, the music builds and it really feels like something is swelling. Like it's really something grand that you're listening to at the time. I really it's enjoy. almost like a like a fanfare, like a fanfare on guitars that like uh, yeah. like that kind of trumpety <laughs> thing where somebody's yeah. about to walk into a room, but it's just like that with heavy distorted guitars. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Sorry, I cut you off. No, you didn't. I was done. I, I was gonna I could have just like continued to waffle on about how the whole thing feels like a journey and it was a fun journey to go on. <laughs> That's good. I'm I'm relieved that you liked it. <laughs> I was worried. Uh, I feel like if there was screaming, I maybe would have a different reaction, but the the lack of screaming. Yeah, it definitely makes it their most accessible work, I think. Um, and you, as Ian said, you sacrifice <clears throat> you sacrifice a bit of that dynamic for that approachability because I think, yeah, you put it really well, Ian, by saying they've got an extra gear to go to. And it really is that. It's like build 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 and then we go this next level entirely with the screaming and that is missing here i think but yeah still so good very strong there is um there is one other album of theirs which i'd recommend if you like this kind of thing abby uh shelter which came out in 2015 2016 or something like that which is also um just clean vocals there's no no screaming um even less abrasive than this it's just more of that kind of beautiful soundscapey stuff um, much more a traditional shoegaze album than than metal, and I think uh, one of the one of my critiques of this album is that it sounds a little bit flat compared to later albums, which have a, a greater sense of sort of space and a more. Um, do you know the like the idea of a soundstage? Like when you're listening with headphones, like you can hear different elements within. Mm. It's like the instruments are arranged around you and you can kind of hear where things are in the room. And I think that this feels a little bit flat and like, it's just this um, wash coming at you from all directions, apart from a couple of weird sort of pans, like there's in, in printer um, Emerald, there's a bit where it pans to the left-hand channel, which I find a little bit annoying and distracting. But anyway, uh, I think this album sounds a little bit, just like a like a wall of sound, whereas as they've uh, developed in their career, the recording I think has gotten better. Um, you can you can hear all of the the different elements more precisely, and with Shelter, it's um, much more uh, like it's a better sounding album than this. I, I I don't enjoy it as much as this album, but I I think that if you like elements of this it's like it's like that but with like hd (laughs) so Mm. i'd I'd definitely recommend that 
Good, good to know. Did did either of you listen to the second track and think, oh, the Goo Goo Dolls? What song? Can't can't say I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just really reminded me of Iris. Really? Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The rhythm is similar. It reminds me of um, there's a song that I wrote late, late at night, years and years ago. That's the start of it sounds like this. So I had more of that sort of thing, but I can I can hear what you mean. Yeah. Because I was listening and I was like, man. It's really giving Goo Goo Dolls, which is not a, I don't know if they'd like that so comparison. Not necessarily Probably a compliment, not. I don't think. <laughs> Although that's no. a song. What's wrong with Iris? It's a that is a good it's song. It's a good song. Name yeah. another one by them, though. Nope, I can't. Can't be done. So what's, what's that other big, uh, it's not Drive, is it? No. What's what's the name of that song? They had one more big one that was big. Um, I'm going to find it. Slide. Slide was big. I, I don't know it. I can't. I really? can't. Oh, you'd know it if you heard it. From the same album, I think. Um, Dizzy Up yeah. the Girl, 2000, no, 1998. Dizzy Up the Girl. You don't remember that? <laughs> I, I do now. <laughs> Just, <laughs> what a what a choice! <laughs> what a choice to call an album Dizzy Up the Girl. <laughs> I like I like knowing the backstory of how he the the fairy the like fairy other world that inspired this album because I feel like the the last track in particular like really is mm. like yes <laughs> i could see fairies in this out al- in this song yeah it's kind of like black metal enya <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it is but um yeah i i i'm i'm interested by nage because he is in this genre where he <laughs> doesn't he seems like this elvish figure <laughs> from from some other time and it's like this this tall, willowy guy with like really, really long, beautiful hair, and he's really softly spoken and like gentle, and seems like a really nice guy. Um, so yeah, I, I I like the juxtaposition of this elegant Frenchman <laughs> in this ugly genre. Uh, there's there's something about that that I really like, and I think that this album more than most with its you know little picture of a girl playing a flute on the front cover um it it heightens that sort of appeal in Alcest for me should we rate it yeah yeah i gave it a seven out of ten definitely will listen again not as much as i listen to frightened rabbit which is getting ridiculous but what did you write that one at the time but i give it a 10 out of 10 now I love it so much. Wow. <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Uh, I think seven and a half. I think it's very good. Would listen yeah, again. Would listen half. again. Seven and a half for me as well. I, th- I think that there, there are songs that I prefer. and I, I don't think it's a perfect album, but I, I think that its legacy is really impressive. And I really really love Alcester. I'd say they're one of my sort of top 10 bands. So as a gateway, it's taken me down a, a direction that I spend a lot of time listening to music like this. I feel like I should give it a seven out of seven point five out of 10 now. Peer pressure. It's up to you. You needn't. <laughs> yeah. Peer pressure. Yeah. I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. Cool. We're in agreement. I, I bump, I bump <laughs> it up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, going on this journey with me. I'm glad we went on that adventure oh, as, a, a as a trio. Yeah. It was a cool adventure. <laughs> Could you imagine us actually going on a real oh, adventure? It'd be so fun. Nice. Mm, be a joy. Matt, what adventure are we going on next? Oh, this one is an adventure. Um, as you both know, because you saw my panicked message in the group chat about half an hour ago, <laughs> half an hour before this recording, I, I forgot that it was my turn to pick one. So I hastily bashed out a list of five that I could choose from and... I think the one I've settled on is um, uh, Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar from 2012. Um, yeah, I, I just want to talk about it now, but I'll, I'll hold off. Um, yeah, Good Kid, Mad City, 2012, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, plenty, plenty to say about this one. Have either of you guys heard yes. that one? Okay. We, are, we are really going some places with this podcast. Always the odd one out. <laughs> Yeah. What was that, Abby? But this feels... I'm always the one who's never heard of anything, I feel like. That's not true. Neither of us had heard of Griff last week. That's true. Neither of you had ever heard of 
two of my picks that I brought forward. Yeah. So three. You'd never heard fun before. Except for mm. the one song. Yeah. Okay. You're right, Ian. Yes, we are we are going to some places. And I like all that. Over the I map. like that it's a, a a bit a bit all over the map. Yeah. Get to <laughs> listen to some different things. <laughs> We've gone uh, get some different experiences. Like, <laughs> in three episodes, it's pretty amazing that our range is like uh like beautiful female pop music, black metal shoegaze, and then hip hop. And then West Coast gangster rap. Yeah. Love it. Great. All right. Thanks you two for the for the journey and the continued journey. Thanks everyone for listening. It's just a joy to make this podcast with you guys and for everybody. So thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you.